Hey guys, Jesse Cove here. Welcome back to Kicking It with the Coves. I am Jesse Cove again. I'm sitting across from my dad, Martin Cove, and my twin sister, Rachel Cove. We want to thank everybody who's joining us. Also, thank you for your reviews, all your amazing five-star reviews that have, you've been putting out there, and we so appreciate that. So definitely leave a review and continue to follow us. We've got a great guest today. We've got Tim Ward, the head coach of the Pepperdine women's soccer team. He's also an incredible father and a husband, and I'm sitting right next to him, and I am honored to be uh, sitting next to you and you joining us today. Thank you so much, Tim. Wow, what a pleasure. I'm, I'm loving the vibe in the room right now. I love the vibe. <laughs> I see you guys looking at each other like only family does. And I'm thinking this is cool. Oh, thank you. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's such a neat experience to be able to do this as a family. And I know how much you value family. I do. I, do. I feel like I'm sitting across, like for, to me, you're like a celebrity. Like for, for me to be sitting across the head coach of the women's, like I want to cry because that's how much soccer means to me. Sorry. I think I've had two conversations with you and those conversations were just an hour long because of what we were talking about. Just your philosophy on coaching. I've never heard anyone describe it the way that you describe coaching. Can you just go into your philosophy of coaching? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a broad and deep, I deep know. question. No. Um, well, okay. So I've been at Pepperdine since 1994. Yeah. Right. I'm 105 years old. I was going to everybody. <laughs> I was going to say like about 105, am, maybe am, seven. Something, yeah. The Malibu air and surfing keeps me, it keeps me youthful. But what's interesting and what Rachel and I sort of connected on is that the fact that I'm old enough to know how it used to be. It's one of the reasons I've really connected with the show and, and almost like your, your character, Johnny Lawrence, the whole thing, the old, old school. I call it old school. And then I've been doing it long enough. The best now. school. Yeah, the best school. And then you have this new way of coaching and um, you have to you have to appeal to the people you're working with, whether those are students or coworkers or whatever. It's a different world. Same world, but it's different. And so when it comes to my philosophy, I'll, I'll give you, I'll try to give it quick. Young Tim, when I first got the job at Pepperdine as a head coach, I was 26 years old. 22 as an assistant. On two different occasions prior to becoming the head coach, I was an interim head coach running the program by myself as like a 23-year-old and a 25-year-old. And eventually um, they said, well, we need to, you know, with Title IX and federal law, we need to hire a woman and go that direction. I said, hey, no problem. And I didn't think I was going to be a soccer coach. I was a bio major. I went to Cal Lutheran University and I thought, hey, you know, it's time for me to grow up and get a real job. Um, but when they went through the interview process, they said, hey, you should, you know, you've been around, we like you. And maybe just for the experience, go through the head coaching application process. So I did. And that's where I, I said, well, if I get this job or if I get an opportunity, I need to have a woman on my staff. And that's where Christy Walker and I. Wow. So Christy Walker is one of my wife's best friends. She's Ugh. a sweetheart, love her to death. She was in our wedding. So when I went into the interview process, make a long story short, I got the job. I was joke. I said I was the cheapest man for the job. Pretty sure that was the case. But they gave a 26-year-old an opportunity to coach. Now, how that affected the way I actually treated my student athletes, and I think this is true even today for a lot of younger coaches, you base your value on whether you win or lose. So people's identity in our American culture is based on winning. And I'll give you a perfect example. So say you're a basketball player, Martin, and you're, you're with your dad and you're nine years old and you're at McDonald's and someone rolls into McDonald's and they say, Martin, how did your, how did your basketball game go? To, did you there's two questions they always ask you, okay? And this is not a Tim Ward original thought. This is from this gentleman named Brett Ledbetter, really great sports psychologist. The moment he said it, the moment I agreed, he's like, the two questions that most people ask young athletes is, did you win? And how many points did you score? Mm. Something to, along those lines. Did you win? And hey, did you score a goal? Or how many hits did you get? If you're Whatever, right? So there is this very subliminal message being asked. You know, it's innocent. It's a perfectly normal question. But ever since you're a little kid, you you come to realize that people get really excited and really stoked for you when you start, 
win, score, whatever. And so now multiply. We call that the aggregation of marginal gains year or day after day and year after year. You begin to believe the lie or the truth, whatever, however you perceive it, that your value is based on did you play, did you win, and how many did you score? So now I myself believe that. So as a younger coach, I thought, all right, my job, the university hired me to win soccer games and come hell or high water, I'm going to win soccer games. It doesn't really matter that those kids have each, each of their stories is very unique and they're coming from a totally different cultural background. That doesn't matter. I just need to win because they just gave a 26-year-old a contract and I better win. So you will go about your business with that worldview guiding your decisions. And so as you can, we were successful early on because I was driving a hard bargain. I was demanding, harsh, uh, just the, the way I had been coached, right? That's how it was. Hey, you run until you puke. All right, we're going to run until somebody on the team pukes. That's just how, how it was. And we sort of, now you look back, you wear it as a, as sort of a, you know, it's a badge of honor. Yeah, I remember those days when we wanted to puke or passed out or whatever. Oh, God, I hate that feeling. But right? it's so good at right? the same time, yep. And so I guess, so that's old Tim. So we had this, we had this time at Pepperdine where our, we had never been to the NC Toy Tournament until I got the head coaching job in 98, and then our fir my first class of recruits got us there in 2001. And then in 2002, uh, we went to the, uh, not only did we go to the NCAA, we went to the Sweet 16, but we won our first ever conference championship against Santa Clara and Portland, who happened to play for the Division I National Championship. So I look back at early Tim, and I thought I was good because I was winning. <clears throat> but something changed along the way. And we had these years of real success. But then we had a group of, of kids who I love. You know, I love them to death. But they came to Pepperdine. It's a Christian school. It's a dry campus. And, and these kids were some of the best players in the country. But our culture became fractured. There was a lot of drinking and partying going on. And, and what on paper appeared to be the most talented team I'd ever had, the performance of the team went south. It was like the first losing year I'd had after building what I was – I was thinking I was building a dynasty and it went south. And I remember at that moment, I really had to reflect on what I was doing and why I was doing what I was doing. And what also changed in that time is that my first daughter was born in 2001 and my son was born in 2004. And then I stepped back and I realized for the first time that the kids I, were, I was coaching, they were someone's kids. <laughs> I know it sounds so obvious. They were soldiers before. They were soldiers before. They were they were there. They were transactional. I'm sure mm -hmm. you've heard this. They were transactional pieces. See, I I gave them scholarship money. I played them, and they got me wins. Very transactional. But what changed is that it's a very common thing in coaching now. Is is I went from a transactional coach to becoming a transformational coach. And the idea is now everything we do is to help that young man. I, I coached boys too in high school a long time ago, but now I coach women. And the idea is to use the sport as the vehicle to help them develop into the best version of themselves. Winning is second. We don't talk about winning anymore. Back, old Tim talked about winning all the time. Newer Tim never talks about winning. We talk about the pursuit of excellence. We talk about a higher purpose. We talked about competitive greatness. I would say winning is obviously the point, but it's never been our purpose or it is no longer our purpose. It's like the journey of winning. Yeah, the journey. It's all the journey is the destination, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds like the old way of coaching is very similar to the old school mentality of John Kreese coaching. Would you do you see a similarity in that? Oh yeah, that's why I love the show because I I love it. I I, I there's parts of that that I still feel are necessary. As we spoke, I, I feel like uh, Daniel LaRusso's daughter, the character in the show, she wanted Johnny Lawrence style a little bit. She wanted to be treated as a badass mm. or she, she didn't want to be treated maybe as, uh, you know, Miyagi's, 
Love Miyagi style, by the way. Love it. But love, love Cobra Kai style. Yeah. And so you got to know, you got to know how to push. Every kid is not the same. And so for some, they can take the John Kreese style. Some kids need Miyagi. It's like there's, that is like, for, that's why the show is so magnetic because it's really addressing how different kids, I think we were talking about, it was at Hawk early on. He was struggling, you know, he's sort of a nerd and he's, he's not really liked socially. And then all of a sudden, he, he's using sport to elevate his social status mm-hmm. and to be viewed a certain way. And, and he's willing to maybe sacrifice some principles to get that. Which is totally truthful. Yeah, that's what happens all the time in society. I mean, we do, right. You see kids and people doing that all, especially young, young individuals, especially with, I'm holding up my phone, but especially in order to get likes or liked, right? Mm-hmm. And to get immediate gratification and to be in the in crowd. And so, but what I love about the show in the last season, at least, is that he sort of came back to his roots and he found sort of came to grips with who he was. He can be both badass and he can also be back to, you know, the guy he was again. I don't know. Be he sense. being my dad's character? Well, I think every character is going through that transformational process oh, right. on the show, right? Yeah. But in Hawk's case, or but every right, single right. character seems to be going through a transformation on the show. And that's what's really cool. It's the battle of transactional versus transformational. And that's actually, one of the things I want to say that was so cool about as when having you on is having, well, dad, you obviously playing, you know, essentially a coach on yeah. television and then you obviously in real life. And so kind of seeing the realism of that and maybe what you prefer, I wanted to know like, Oh, he prefers this style a little bit more than that style. You know, there's, cause I also believe there's so much reality in a lot of the things that are written okay. in his style, especially in, athleticism because like I don't consider my I mean I am very athletic uh, you know I did play sports growing up baseball soccer basketball all that stuff and I feel like what motivates me and what helps keep me motivated is is that kind of athletic mentality in life yeah. you know like people like Tim Grover who who you know I've met many times and I feel like when you adapt those kind of things like you said to, to instill in your students kind of like some of the things that he's he's taken some of his like I think John Kreese's war experience and saying life is war and I'm going to give you some of that and use it in martial arts to protect yourself. It dances around each other in a really magnificent way. It really does. It's really cool. What do you think that the difference, the literal difference in the coaching styles of Billy, of Johnny Lawrence and Ralph and Miyagi-Do, so, you know, Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang versus what I do. A damn Eagle Fang, the damn Miyagi-Do. Eagle Fang. <laughs> I think, yes, Eagle I, Fang. Yeah, I think, I think what's fascinating, <laughs> <laughs> what I think is fascinating when I watch the show, they're all okay. They're all okay. I think at the end of the day, as long as that student, right, if you're, knows that they're safe and they're loved, that's the culture we're living in right now, that as a parent, look, I have three kids. They are all so different. It's ridiculous. They're all, re- my daughter is a musician. My 21-year-old daughter, Abby, she is brilliant. But she, first soccer game she ever played, she's like, dad, they keep touching me, you know? So she's, she didn't like physical contact. Meanwhile, my youngest daughter wants to go hit everything, right? So you got your own eagle thing. You know, yes, you know, exactly. And then my son, Nathan's in the middle, middle brother, right? <laughs> Birth order. And so Nate, Nate's a basketball player and they're just, they're so, maybe it's a birth order thing, but he's so aware. That's what I was telling you. He has met his first girlfriend, you know, has his first girlfriend and he, he loves the conversations they have. Love he that. loves it. It's brilliant. That's so Nate, great. It's great. So Nate and Lauren, they're funny. They're Pepperdine kids. So, um, but yeah, so every kid is different. And so you can't just say one style is right. I think different styles are different for different kids, but I think at the, at 
foundationally, you have to know who you're coaching. I think oftentimes in a pay-to-play culture, let's be honest, now we're going into pay-to-play. You, like The model is you pay your money to your club coach or your AAU basketball coach or whatever, and that coach is supposed to deliver what? Wins, so my kid gets what? Recruited and they get what? A scholarship. It's sort of, at least in this area. You got to start with the end in mind because that's what most people are seeing. And then- is the that, goal to be, sorry to intro, inter- no, that's okay. interrupt really quick, but I'm just curious, is the goal for every college player to then become professional? No, and I think, and that's the thing. So when, whether you're a youth coach, whether you're a high school coach, or whether you're a club coach or a college coach, doesn't matter. I think you have to start with the ending. I literally think, I always, I'm, I'm using my hands right now, but expectations and reality. And you have to know what the expectation is and what reality is. And if there's a huge gap between expectations and reality, that gap, we call it frustration. So for instance, if I'm a high school coach, I might say, listen, of course, it'd be great to win a high school championship, but look, I'm going to get everybody on the field because this might be some of the majority of these kids, the only and last time they're going to play soccer. And if we have to sacrifice a result here or there. So un-American, right? If you have to sacrifice or win, I'm going to get these kids on the field. Meanwhile, college coach, oftentimes their job, their livelihood is based on the fact that they've got to win a game. So if you're not win, you know, you say, hey, I'm developing my kids. My kids love me in the AD or you're, I'm, I'm grateful. My AD is brilliant, absolutely brilliant, that they, they want to, of course, win, but there's an order to events. They want, you know, at a Christian university, it's like, hey, we want the kids there and they graduate to know Jesus is is and that hey, then graduate with your great academic degree and then and then we compete for championships but it's in that order mm-hmm. so the priorities need to be set on the front end so if you don't win a championship like he'll say and I really appreciate this about my my boss Steve Potts he'll say look if we win a championship and they don't achieve the other two we fail them they don't graduate with their degree and they don't know at least the love of Christ we have failed them and I'm like okay and so when you proceed to, whether it's the martial arts or any sport, when someone enters your, your world, it's really important to say, well, what are you expecting out of this experience? And then you say, well, no, that's not what this is set up to do. This might be, you might come and say, I just want to learn some martial arts. And I'm like, no, this is designed to take kids to the national championship level. Mm-hmm. But another teacher might say, oh, this is, this is just for fun. This is cool for an appreciation. And then there's, so it's almost like the same as in soccer. It would be recreational, competitive. And then elite, right? There's So I think when you enter into whatever it is as a coach, your parents and the kids that you're working with, they, I think, need to understand. I think there needs to be a conversation about what are your expectations. And then a good coach will bring it back down to reality for them and say, okay, the next year is sort of going to look like this, not that. That's such a great way also like for life. What are your expectations and what are, what's the reality? Right. Everything. Right. Everything. Relationships, work kids. That's, it's, it's amazing to kind of see it the way you broke it down. Yeah. It's funny. I think we enter into most, most dialogues. We, we bring our own worldview, our own assumptions into it and we don't even catch it half the time. We're not even aware. Right. So self-awareness is a huge thing. It's huge. And my hope for the future is to bring self-awareness into school systems, into organizations, into every, not every dialogue, but to bring emotional well-being. Right into the professional world, right. that it doesn't have to be a split compartmentalized experience. It can be, hey, I'm on a soccer team and today's a really hard day. <laughs> That's right. And I was curious, when you say, you said something along the lines of, I need to know my players. How do you get to know your players? Do you spend time after each practice? Do you spend time calling them? What is your approach with that? Huh. <laughs> 
Well, I, currently we have 22 girls on the team and nine coming in or nine or 10 coming in next year, which is insane, right? You're going to have a squad of 30, 32, 31, whatever, however it lands ultimately. It's really difficult to get to know your kids. So you try to do, you know, we're instituting maybe personality testing. You try to figure out buttons to push, not to push. That's new for us. That's a new way of trying to get to know how to communicate well with your student athlete. Um, obviously, paper, they do that? yeah, there's, yeah. there's different things we're looking into, um, disc assessments and stuff like this. They're pretty standardized out there, but along the way, I mean, look, a part of it is the, an overall assessment. So you start recruiting these kids pretty young. You start identifying talents the way it goes. And at least in our sport is that you go out to all these soccer fields, there's thousands of kids out there. So you start to say, all right, I'm going to start gravitating towards the most successful teams because generally at the, the further you get, remember when you're like U10, everybody played soccer. Everybody was like on the pink putter flies or the Panther, everybody. whatever. Well, everybody was on team. But the the jawbreaker. That's right. The jaw. Oh, the mega what, Sharks. What, mega Sharks. Do you remember your team name? North Valley Rockers. Ooh. And Balboa Babes. Ooh, Bal- oh, that Balboa was good. Babes, Balboa yes. Babes, yeah. Did dad name that one? No. <laughs> I forgot who named that one. There was, I forgot her name. Her name was Rebecca. Dawn. No, they were Dawn, painted Dawn was, on those, those sheets. Right. Spray paint, I remember. It's brilliant. Everybody, everybody's playing the soccer. They were. So what happens is, so everybody's a recreational soccer player. Yeah. But the further you go, then it starts to, you know, it starts to narrow. Funnel, it funnels up. It does. Same with in life, acting. Yeah, of course, Same thing. Of course. You guys are here. You're at and the top every of your weekend. Group. You're out there, and that's you know. right. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's really crazy. But we've had wonderful experiences. You know, when you go out of town, and Jesse would come, and was, Rachel was on the girls' team, and all the girls loved Jesse. You know, and of they loved, they did. and he loved. They were like, "Hey, Jesse, do you want to come out with Rachel and, and her whole team to a hotel in, in San Bernardino for the next few days?" I'm like, "Yeah." Sounds like a good time to me. It's a really hard decision. I don't know about that. But it was fun. They'd play. They'd play soccer in the day, and then we'd, we'd all dance and have fun. You yeah, know, yeah. at night at the hotels, yeah. watch movies. It was great. It, it was a lot of fun. But there were some games that you never forget. Oh, of course. You know, there was uh, Tom Rothman, and Tom is uh, no Tom Bangs Ness. No, no oh, really? Tom Rothman. Oh. Tom Rothman is the chairman of Sony, who I work for, and. Um, Tell them the story, Rachel, because this was something that was so memorable, as I'm sure you have many stories that are so memorable, where surprises come that you never expected. It's like, you know, Cobra Kai. Do you ever expect the success of this show based on movies in 1984 with the same actors? So there are some soccer experiences that were as remarkable and remembered. This is one of them. Tell them the story in Riverside. Well, I don't know if I'll be able to do it justice, but I think we were we were losing 2-0. I, I actually thrive under pressure. So when I feel like I'm losing, something activates in me. The warrior in me is like, oh, hell no. That's right. And so I, well, there's two minutes left. And, and it's, it's a tournament. Yeah. It's a tournament. It's so- a tournament. It was the semifinals. So if we lost, we weren't going to move forward. That's when I get like, I'm in. Go time. Go time. Something just kicks off in me. And for some reason, under pressure, I thrive. It was the last 90 seconds. And Nora was dribbling the ball. Nora is, jo- is Tom's daughter. Tom's daughter. It. Nora, if you're listening to this, hello. I'll never forget this game. <laughs> um, and Tom, if you're listening to this, hello. So she, it was 90 seconds. And I just was like, oh, we're going. And we charged the goal. She shot the goal in the left corner. I think it was a header. It was like nine seconds left. And I got the ball. And... 
it wasn't even a thought. I just knew exactly where to go. And it was like, bam, we're in the left corner. Everyone's cheering and I'm screaming, but now we're tied. Then it went into sudden death. And I got the sudden ball. Sudden death. I got the ball. Sorry. <laughs> I was at halfway field. I shot from halfway field and I scored. We won the game. And it was, everyone started charging the field. And it was just such a memorable moment. And I feel like, well, why is it so memorable? I feel like as humans, we want to fight for something. Yeah. And I think sports is one of the few things that we have left where we can all gather and in and, and community. I mean, there's church, there's there's temple. And in sports, there's we can come together and fight for something. Yeah. Would it's, you agree? Oh, gosh, yeah. It's it's like transcendent. You have this. So, yeah. Right? That's the word. When you're telling the story, I think all of us have these moments where they're both iconic, transcendent. They take you places. And I don't know. I always say a coach is, this is like I tell myself, a coach is someone that can take a player places they can't take themselves. Oh, wow. But a team, but a team, there's something about doing life in community, mm-hmm. right? And that's, I'm a big fan of team sports only because, you know, we have our core values at Pepperdine. We have core values that we live by. Humility is the first. If you don't humble yourself, life will. And we always say that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. And then sacrifice is that's very good i like that yeah and then sacrifice you know there is no greater love than to lay one's life down for another right and Mm -hmm. so and then finally unity i mean come on you know when you can be together with your brothers and sisters and you're all pulling in the same direction we say one heart one mind one mission it's a beautiful beautiful thing so sport doesn't matter if it's soccer basketball football and then you have this group of fans that are living vicariously through you you're like warriors that aren't dying out on the battlefield but it's like you're you're hoping your your army wins or whatever it is and then there's something too i know this is again very un-american but there's something about a game well played that respect emerges, I think, where I, I have no problem. I don't, I don't like to lose. I hate losing. But I have no problem if the team we play against is a war- they're warriors and it's just a, a proper fight. I would imagine like Cobra Kai, right? I, again, I'm, I'm going back to season, last season. Sort of epic on the mat. Epic, really good fighting. And, and there's respect at the end of it. Win or lose aside, you're sort of like, all right, I don't know. That's, I love the show. For, that's why I love that. You know, at some point, you're like, oh, that wasn't fair. That wasn't right. But then you get on the mat and you're like, wait, at the end, you know, to get out on the mat, I, I don't know, MM, what is it? MMA? The, yeah. I mean, come on, dude, to get in the ring, yeah. to, just to get in the ring is respect. Yeah. Whether you win or get your, you know what, handed to you. I, for me, so something about sport and about the pursuit of that excellence, competitive excellence, I think is is an awesome thing. It's really fun to build. I'm motivated to want to go play sports right now, something competitive. <laughs> you know, you said something really interesting that you said we were talking about this memorable moment of being on the soccer field and how these moments are the things that we remember throughout our yeah. lives. And it reminds me of the last scene in The Karate Kid. No mm. matter what's happening, if that scene is on TV, I still get the chills. And it's not because you're my dad. It's because of what that scene means. Right. The underdog fights the bully. I mean, well, there's actually a debate and who's like, <laughs> like <laughs> what the truth is behind that and right. who the bully is. But it's so memorable. And it's like those scenes that you remember your whole life, the underdog winning and that music. You know, I mean, I get the chills now. Oh, yeah. Good. That was good. Yeah, it was, was good, really right? good. Yeah. I think it's emotional because what's emotional I, I at silly sports scenes on TV some there could be some tragedy and oftentimes I don't lose my cookies but on a sports scene 
I lose it like a Super Bowl championship because you know the time and the pain and the suffering and the perseverance required to get to that level. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I connect with that. I can so, same that. here. Well, I remember. Right? I remember we were watching Cinderella Man in oh. in movie theaters. My dad and I we went to see it, and it's that final moment where uh, you know Russell Crowe is like thinking about his family before like like losing and it's like the way they did it was so beautiful you could just cry and like literally the music's playing the images of his family are going as he's getting these hits in the ring and my dad i remember my dad's watching and he's he's literally like he's like he's gritting his teeth and he literally he in the movie theater it's quiet and he punches his hands together he's like come on like <laughs> in the movie theater i remember doing do you remember that it was so like it makes oh you, like, yeah it just gets you it's visceral the, yeah exactly yeah, it's, it's right so there. visceral oh, and that. it's funny because those moments i'm a huge fan of like athleticism in life right like i like and and this is not making fun of other people but like there are certain people that i value and respect in other ways whether it's motivational speakers or whatever different than others because like someone like jocko willink who's like been to war and like when he talks about things that he's experienced i like resonate with that a little bit more than maybe like and that and this is just me than maybe like you know the person who's kind of you know talking uh, you know in the middle of a garden or something like that that's i resonate with a little bit more of a harder edged uh motivational area what doesn't mean that discounts the other but that's just me and everybody as a coach i feel like you have to kind of find how you can encompass all of that right 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 no, and man it, finding motivational buttons to push yeah Every kid has a different button, right? It's some kids and, and all kids. And then you're getting in teaching styles. There's soft, hard. Yeah, right? yeah. There's soft, hard. There's people are visual learners. They're auditory learners. They're kinesthetic. I mean, there's, it's crazy. You know, there's literally different learning styles that kids have different smarts, right? And so you're, you're trying to tap in and make the connection. You're just trying to move them in a, in a way where they're like, oh, I get it. The light bulb just came on for me, right? But the motivational factor, yeah. If it's a movie, it mm -hmm. could be a song, mm -hmm. it could be a little could just be a note you stick in their locker. It could be, right? right? It, yeah. It, but, but the note for one kid might just light up their world. And another one's like, oh, sorry, come on. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the secret formula is. And that's why I think I love coaching. Because once you have your team, then in my job, a quarter of my team graduates, the seniors graduate, and then you got to try again. You start all over. And you, you try to find the secret sauce again and again. Here I am, 29 years, trying to do it again and again and again. So yeah, it's sort of an addictive process. It's really fun, though. Who coaches you? My God. faith, yeah. I'm a I'm a Christian guy, and so I I've, I've been I spent a lot of time not not having grown up in the church, went away from the church, came back. Rachel and I had this long conversation about it, but I don't know. I find the pursuit of truth a really fascinating journey. Like yeah. my whole life, I'm my faith doesn't really nervous about the pursuit of truth. I love sitting down with people from all cultural backgrounds and just digging in. Life is, you know, it really comes down to love, love your God mm -hmm. and love your neighbor. Like it's, I love. Do you find that? <laughs> true. Yes. Do Amen. you find that the competitive pressures of athletes are somewhat minimized or softened by religion, mm. by the kind of background you have versus <clears throat> John Kreese coming out of Vietnam and saying, this is the way it's got to be. I don't care what the pressure is. We got to win. Or else we're just going to keep on trying right? after I get rid of you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that's what's going to happen. Right. So do you find that the pressures that athletes are under, which is enormous, especially in this day and age, how does that equate being part of a Christian? Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. It's a great question because I think when I first became a Christian guy, I thought, well, you know what? Uh, I can't win. 
because I'm so uber competitive. I might take someone's head off to do that. That wouldn't be very Jesus-like now, would it? So I thought that wouldn't be very good. But what I've come to find and what I, what I, is that really God wants us to pursue excellence. Excellence. And excellence is not taking it easy on the other guy. That, that's, actually, I think that's more disrespectful. You know, at some point in a game, if like, you know, the, the, whole, the whole question, how far do you run a score up, right? Well, if you're on the losing team, and a team runs the score up 6-0, somebody might say, oh, that's disrespectful. But if you're on the other team and the other team just starts not scoring intentionally, that feels disrespectful, I think. Mm-hmm. So you with me on that? So yeah, wrestling with a competitive faith thing, I think what's most you try to do what's most loving, but that doesn't mean you can't be badass. That's bottom line. I mean, Jesus was badass. He went, so you, yeah. try to do, absolutely. you try to do what's most loving. I do. That's really hard. I mean, you're in a basketball game. <laughs> you know, you're in a basketball game and, and you know, you're winning 40-20, 45-20, 50-20, and your team's pushing on. The stakes are high. I don't think you're going to have the team lighten up. Maybe in soccer it'll be a little different, but I don't know. Somehow, yeah, I don't think so. Competitive, I wouldn't do that either. Competitive spirit kicks in and if you're on a high of scoring goals and hitting right. baskets and you're on the field then every kick you make is hooking right into the top part of the right part of the goal i don't know i back up how do you No, back i don't up? i don't I, that's i guess uh, maybe perhaps i didn't explain it but i would never ask them to take these but what you could do so remember the u.s women's national team mm-hmm. so one of our former players lynn williams plays for the u.s women's national team She's on this great. Yeah, we got a bunch of girls in the pros. They're kicking butt. Super Amazing. proud of Pepperdine alum. They're awesome. Yes. But Lynn's on the U.S. Women's National Team. She played in the last Olympic Games. Came in right, but there was a there was a game in the last World Cup. I think it was against Thailand or something where the U.S. ran up the score. And the next day in the paper, they're like, "Can you believe the U.S. women? You know, like running up the score? Or like it was like super lopsided. I don't know if it was ten or something like that." And that's what I'm saying is that it's almost yeah, it's almost more disrespectful to not play your best against at that level, mm-hmm. right? So I guess this is the thing, right? There's a you have to if it's in a high school championship or a high school league, or if it's in a college, you're not taking it easy. Maybe you clear the bench. Maybe you're up by 30 points in a basketball game. Okay, maybe the most loving thing is keep going, but give the kid who never gets to play a shot to go out there and play. That that could be. That could achieve both aims. You're still going to win the game and you give some other kid. But now if it's like U8s and all of a sudden you have Rachel and other three, four all-stars that are kicking you-know-what and the other team's got no chance and now you're at 10 and you're realizing that your crushing of the opponent at eight years old, might this kid might never play soccer again. You're reading the room. Yeah, I understand. I guess that's a consideration because of youth. But even when you play a baseball game – right. You play a baseball game and it's 11-0, 13-0. They got a run, so it's 14-1. <laughs> Nobody who's got 14 is laying back. Right. Now, the guy is still trying to hit the, his home run. If he, a, yeah. if, you know, he's trying to get a single if his base is loaded. He's trying to place the ball right to the left field behind the shortstop. I don't know where that – you know, it's interesting because it's compassionate. It but I don't know where – it comes from in this day and age because everything is so competitive. Right. You know, it's like in New York City, everybody looks down. Everybody's walking the streets looking down. Why? Because they're figuring out what their next move is in business or in life because there's so many people up for the same gig. And avoiding gum. <laughs> <laughs> 
But the bottom line is, <laughs> you will see that. People just, there's so many people in Manhattan as they walk. And what they're doing, I figured this out, is because their next move in business, because everything is so competitive in New York, because there are so many people doing the same thing creatively, whether you're an actor or whether you're in marketing. You've got to be different. You've got to be competitive. And everybody, and nobody wants to deal with anybody around. They just want to walk through the streets thinking about, you know, if I put this print out, it'll work. And I do it in color, it'll be great. You know? So th that's what happens. How did I get on that? I forget how I got on that. Competitiveness. I, competitiveness. Yes, yeah. Com competition. Yeah. And that's, you know, just how far it's carried. It's carried by the fact that you got to walk from one building to another in concentration of your next move right. in life. But I'm also grateful for that kind of competitiveness. Like, I mean, obviously, it, it's take, I've changed my mindset over the years when I was younger versus right. now. Like, you know, I'm an actor, so obviously I compete against thousands of other, you know, men and women for, I mean, mostly men for my parts. Um, but I'm, I, it's like there's a part of me that's also grateful for that competitiveness because yeah. I know that there are people that are that fucking good that i have to work my ass off to be better than them so it's like it's like a it's like a beautiful um give and take you know for me to know that there's these people that are willing to work so much harder than me makes me put a fire under my ass to work even harder than them and i grew up in the business you know Same. not that i have a leg up or anything but it makes me want to work even harder because if it was all just easy it would, wouldn't be as fun agree like you look in the soccer world cristiano ronaldo and leo messi for years they were contemporaries and they were pushing each other to new heights because they needed the other right they needed you know yeah the, the villain you know john crease needs <laughs> Daniel or I whatever. Misunderstood. I'm not a villain. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but you got you got two. They need it. They need there's the that. yin and yang. They do. They need each other to ascend to new heights, and that's I think what's fascinating too. What we're stumbling onto when it comes back to mental health is that okay. So the culture where where I, what I was thinking when we first spoke is that how you wrestle with resiliency. So what competition teaches you. Is resiliency, dude. You, if you just don't get the first job you you go and interview for or play the part for, then if you don't bounce, you're, you're done. You're not going to make it in the industry. Yeah. Right? So what's fascinating, I think, about our current culture is that somewhere, and I'm with you on this. I don't know when. There's a song. I'm a Rush fan, but there's like someone made "Surrender" seem all right. There's a song in the past. It's on the album Presto. It's a great album for you Rush fans in the crowd. But somebody, somewhere, somebody made "Surrender" seem all right, and. What that meant is that my kid always gets a trophy. When Remember the days when you come home from class and you're sucking? My parents are like, get your crap together. Like, mm -hmm. get your stuff together. Now, I'm, I fast forward 20 years, maybe. Then it's like, oh, that teacher must suck. You're not doing well in your class? That teacher must suck. And Or you didn't finish in first place. Why doesn't my kid get a trophy? You know, there was something very powerful about me finishing second place, looking at the team that's on the podium, getting the first place trophies, and then longing for that and yeah. aspiring to that. And so I so think- So in agreement with that. Right? right? So in agreement yeah, with that. Yeah, that competition is yeah. necessary. And we talked about, I know this is sort of a scientific thing, but the whole butterfly, the metamorphosis and, you know- uh, today's parent, not all, by the way, you still got some badass parents that are doing the right thing, but you have some parents, the ones that say, oh, I want my butterfly to get a trophy. They would cut open the cocoon. Well, the science is very clear. If the butterfly doesn't struggle, 
then once it's out of the cocoon, it doesn't have the strength and the wings to fly. Oh my God, that's Do you know what I'm saying? And it's, so it's yeah. pretty simple. So you have to build muscles of resilience. And how do you do it? You do it when they're in elementary school. Let them fall down. Let them break a wrist. Let them get a bloody nose. Let them get into a fight. Let them... So I'm with you on competition. Let them get there. You know what? Kicked. Experience and pain. But in the safety of a home, ideally. Right. An ideal where mom and dad say, hey, it's all right, champ. Good job today. I'm glad you stuck up for yourself. Even though you got smashed in the eye three times, I'm proud of you. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage. So now it, it takes a lot of courage for a kid to do that. And it takes a loving family who's connected to their little, their player yeah. to sort of frame that for them. Right. Exactly. But, and I think it's. For parents out there who are listening, I think it's always looking for teaching opportunities with your children. Yeah. Always being in the present moment to be aware of how can this be a teaching opportunity for my child. Right. I remember I was with my son recently and he was really scared to say goodnight to uh, a friend of mine. And instead of me looking at him and saying, well, come on, just go say goodnight. I got down on my knees and I said, hey, bud. I can really tell that you're nervous right now and that's okay because I get nervous too. And this is a really good opportunity to practice your fear. I actually said to him, you know, uh, no mercy to the fear. <laughs> he says all the time. I love it. No mercy. And then it. it took, and I, and I look out for the, for the opportunity for him to learn to struggle. There's an art to struggle. Yes. Learn to struggle and get okay in the struggle and not fall apart. And also sometimes there's an art to falling apart and then getting back together again. Right. And so I said to him, I said, Jax, this is a great opportunity to practice being brave and to practice being courageous. I love it. And he was like, fighting it and he's like oh i don't i don't want to keep his head down i didn't shame him and i think that's where parents go wrong is they try to shame the child for not accomplishing the goal like that there's an art to learning and there's an art to patience then he finally did it right and it, it made me want to cry because he felt so happy in that moment that he that he said you know good night and it was that opportunity where he got to develop courage. And then I gave him a high five and then repetition again, like do it over and over again. And then your brain develops that pattern. Yeah. And was, he got rewarded. And yeah. he got rewarded. He she, got called, she FaceTimed me. And um, on the FaceTime, he says, mommy, now that I did that, what you wanted, can I have a toy tomorrow after school? <laughs> and, he, and she bought him one of his little dinosaurs. But I have a question that's very much related to, to this. Two questions. How do you deal with bullying as a coach and how much of that exists? Because in my dojo, it's interesting how the bullying exists until he proves himself. The bully just gets on the mat. And that's, you know, we've had examples of that many times in scenes in Four, four Seasons where the underdog just develops himself somewhere along the line and comes back and kicks ass for the kid who bullied him four episodes ago. But in real soccer, in the real world, I, I, I played soccer. I was a goalie and I played the German-Hungarian League and, you know, I was going to make it a whole big deal of it. I don't remember a lot of bullying. And I was new to the team, but I don't remember anybody, and I was one of the few Americans, I don't remember a lot of bullying on the team. And in high school and college, I don't remember a lot of bullying either. So things might have changed now because of the level of competition. So explain to me, have you encountered that and how do you deal with it? That's a good question. I don't, to be honest, I don't see it a lot. Um, I am attracting type A high achievers. I mean, some of the best players in the country. So what you are bringing in, at least at Pepperdine and some of the top schools in Southern, well, the top D1 schools is you're bringing in kids that used to be in the best. So I think rather than bowling, 
they're all walking in with swag. They're all walking in with swag until they realize they're not the swaggiest of swaggers out there. <laughs> I, I guess uh, I'm not no, sure. No, that makes but, sense. That's right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of other swag in the room. <laughs> That's right. So, so bullying, is, it's funny because to bully at that level, at my level, it takes a lot of bull, mm-hmm. right? It takes a lot of, lot of swag because everybody's that good. Right. Right. Um, And so, yeah, you're right now. What's fascinating about soccer is that if someone is an ass and they're they're acting that way in soccer, you can hurt them permanently, intentionally with your studs. Just go above the ball over their shin. I mean, that's brutal. Right. That's old. That's old Tim. That's old Tim. That's (laughs) that's before I met Jesus, Tim, that you could really hurt. And that's when John Kreese, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. John Kreese, Tim. I grew up with that. I'm I'm a fan of John Kreese. I'm a big fan. (laughs) I'm a big fan. And that's because that's how you grew. I grew up. And you have to have a little bit of the dark arts, they call it in soccer to protect yourself. If someone on the other team is getting disrespectful or out of whack, the game, humility, Humility is our core value because you can humble someone in our sport very, very quickly. Check them. With off the ball stuff, there's only three refs. It's a 120-yard by 75-yard field. There's right. a lot of stuff that can go on without people seeing, stepping on, breaking toes. You know, there's a lot. There's just, it can get nasty. I broke my collarbone. Yeah, it can get nasty intentionally away from the ball. Mm. That's all listening. We don't want you to go out there and break people's no, toes. No, 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 no. And just... so I don't, I, that's why I'm, to answer your question, I don't see a lot of it. Because I think anybody who plays at the highest level knows that they can be humbled very quick by a late challenge, a bad hit. And so there's a, it's almost like getting in the ring, right? You're getting in the ring and that other person, if you're, if you're being an ass can really, really hurt you, I think. Yeah, no, that's a great answer because I did encounter it and for other reasons, because I was on a team, I was on a team that was losing all the time. So we never could have differences with each other because we were always trying to win <laughs> and the and the, wherever we had differences it was always the opponents the other question i have is how do you feel about i'm you know uh, basically uh, confused about this and i have two different opinions participation trophies <laughs> <laughs> now you have first place and then you have the participation trophies not a fan I'm not a fan either. I'm not, not either. Fan. Not a fan. But, but the question is, yeah, Marty Cove, <laughs> Martin Cove thinks both ways. John Kreese, of course, is just first place. But myself, I've been throwing this around for months when a kid is not really good at something but tries. And maybe his prowess is computers. Maybe his prowess is painting on on canvas and he's 10 and he still tries to go out there and doesn't succeed very well on the field and his team comes in first place uh second place does he deserve a participation trophy or even if his team comes in first place does only the best athlete Uh, on the squad deserve the award but in in essence usually you get a whole team will get a trophy so in other words does the participation trophy work for the second and third place team even though they could be riddled with kids who are trying who really want to be a good halfback Mm -hmm. who really want to be a good center forward but they just aren't coordinated that's fascinating so which way would you go to give them that participation trophy or only Team number one. Right. That's a good inspirational one. trophies. <laughs> trophies of inspiration. Well, it can be inspirational. I mean, you give it to a kid. But perfect I, example. Jeff Bezos probably had some participation trophies growing up. Where he got his big trophy was sending his own rocket ship into space that he was on. That's where he won in his own way. Right? Yeah, I this is that's funny. I, I think look, I think celebrating excellence, give the first place team 
the team, everybody on the team's playing a part, even mm-hmm. if you're, you know. But I think for that kid that finishes out of a league of 10 and they're on the eighth or ninth place team, I'm not giving them trophies, but at the banquet, a good coach would then say to the computer nerd, you know, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate your creativity and your way of doing data analytics for our team. Or so, you know, you're giving them, you're, you're basically knowing your players. So rather than fill them with lies, I mean, kids can read it, you know, you can't kid, what is it? You can't kid a kid can kid a kidder, but you can't kid a kid, right? So kids know. And so I think knowing your players and giving them authentic, you know, celebrate who they are authentically, right? Rather than give them some trophy for being, hey, you're a great soccer player. Well, kids are going to see through that. They're going to know, no, I suck. You know, most kids know if they suck, I think. But the problem is parents tell them, parents fill them with lies and they say, you're great. It's a dose of truth. Again, pursuit of truth is really, really important. And I think the truth is, hey, so you guys finished in eighth place, but you know what? You never gave up. And honestly, that's a huge achievement. You guys battled every game. You showed up, you're on time, you smiled, (laughs) you worked hard. So you didn't win. But that is an achievement in itself. That's what I'm saying. So perseverance. So you, you try to find a virtue. That's what I would do. You try to find a virtue that matches what that team has displayed. Hey, maybe it's they've got a great sense of humor, a great sense of community, and they never got disrespectful with one another. And you're like, man, it could have been easy to go south on each other here and just get down. But that's a really cool thing that you guys stayed positive. So it's credit. You're actually creating credit. Yeah. And validation. Yeah. I think it's validating and encouraging their skills. Right. Instead of shaming them. Right. And it leads me to, I have two questions that I don't want to forget. Okay. One of them being, how do you, I guess you just kind of answered it, but I was curious if you have a player that's not doing well, because I've had verbally abusive coaches where the parents had to hold themselves back because we've had coaches that would yell so hard that I just would freeze and I would shut down Mm -hmm. as a player and I just didn't even want to play it in some games because I was like, why would I play, (laughs) right? How do you give constructive feedback to a player when their expectations are so high and they want to win more than you do, right? Right. How do you do that? Again, uh, old Tim and new Tim. Old Tim, again, (laughs) super passionate. I mean, you know, youngest of six, just single mom raising me, fighting for everything. So that passion when I got into coaching was like, come on, you got to – that's all you got. You know, you got to fight. That's what I'm saying. I've I've been doing it long enough to be self-aware of what I was and how I was and now how I am. What I appreciate now or what I try to do now is that you try to find out prior to the heat what this kid responds to. So for instance, say I'm working with you and you've told me in an office, Hey man, how do you like to be motivated? You want, you want public like feedback or is it private? Um, because I'll give it to you. I, I'm here. I would say feedback is neither positive or negative. I love constructive criticism. Right, right. It helps me. I don't care where you say it because whatever you're telling me, it's going to freaking help me. That's right. That's, That's right. how I see That's it. That's it. Feedback, right? If you're walking in the street, I always use a silly, it's a, it's a graphic example, but if your kid is walking out in the middle of a bus, mm-hmm. you're not going to say, oh, Johnny, stop playing in the middle of the street. You're like, get out of the street right now. And you, you're passionate about it. And that, that has to be immediate, loud abrupt, whatever, might hurt that kid's feeling, but you just saved their life. Mm-hmm. Same with feedback sometimes. Same with feedback. And again, they're, they're, they might be doing something that jeopardizes the team and the team's result and the team's dream and the team's journey. So sometimes the feedback has to be public. It has to be harsh and it has to be transparent 
So everybody understands, but you can do that on the front end. So you can tell your team on the front end, hey, I'm giving you feedback. Sometimes it comes across as cuddly and lovely. You're great, you're great. Sometimes it might come across as harsh, but you have to do it publicly so that if I have a coaching point for you, that I don't have to continually make the same coaching point to five different players throughout the year. You say, do you have to get hit by a bus? I mean, if your friend gets hit by a bus or your kid, do you have to get hit by a bus to learn the same Accountability. Lesson? That's right. And so those lessons sometimes with feedback. And again, I think feedback is a great word because it's, it, it, you know, criticism feels negative just by the very, the assumptions we pres- we put into that word, criticize. It, it immediately goes negative, constructive criticism, positive and a negative, right? But I'm like feedback. It's just, it's not negative. It's not, it's just information. Now, how better coaches, I think, deliver the feedback in a way that can be received, mm. right? So the great teachers give people truth serum. They give them the truth. They give them feedback. But the way you deliver that message, I think the best teachers connect and you have to connect with different people in different ways. Sometimes that might be harsh with you. It might be in the middle with you and it might be privately with you. Hey, Rach, you know, and I did that today. I had a kid that was beating herself up in training, beating herself up. So I didn't want to, I knew she was already not in a good place. So I walked over to her, put my arm around her, say, love you, kid. Are you doing great? Relax. Take a breath. Just take a breath. That's nice. But somebody else, hey, play that ball quicker. Come on. You know, it's, you have to eliminate the criticism and you substitute it with feedback. Agreed. But it's the same information. That's right. Right. So it's the tone. It's like, hear, hear the message, not the tone. 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 Important tone. Well, okay. tone, for sure. I mean. Right. See, it's interesting on the show, I want them to write more of that, you know, where I can give a criticism, rather, I can give a, a um, feedback and not be criticizing. John is always criticizing because he doesn't have time to be compassionate. Right. I want more of those moments to be compassionate, which our writers are going to be here tomorrow. And some of the things we've discussed, you know, because John Kreese is not written like you are. In other words, he doesn't have those tools. He's pretty much just hardcore, do it my way because I have moral fiber and I know and I'm a champion and blah, blah. It's hard and cold. These things we've been discussing today are wonderful manipulations of how to achieve the same goal as he does. But it's not manipulations. It's their tools, right? Yeah, toolbox. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I like the tools. Either way, I, I understand yeah, what you're you, saying. You, you manipulate the tool yeah. to right. make Handle for it, an yeah. exam yeah. for a uh, outcome. But what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be fascinating artistically to have these qualities and still be walking the tightrope, you know, yeah, I'm with you. as we've seen in Four Seasons. It's something really that I bring up. It's kind of hard to write if the show is not about you. Right. You know. I love your character, though. I got to be honest. The character that I see is I see a hard ass. I see old school in that you're, you're, you're me and you're sort of my generation and how we grow. But you can also see your heart, right? I don't know if it was – I, I don't want to get this wrong, but remember the, the scene with the apple? And there was, a, there was this- In the market. In the market. The apple. Oh, yeah, with yeah. Amanda. I know. And it was yeah. great. And it was great. The apple scene was one of my favorites because uh-huh. it, it gave a glimpse that, hey, the guy's got a heart. <laughs> see? But, see? See? Yeah, you see what I'm saying? I bit the apple and I think I said, oh, these are delicious. That's right. You know? Yeah. And then I walked off. That's it. But but no, it was it was sort of truth. You were given truth and it wasn't all, it's just, it was sort of an honest conversation. Mm-hmm. So honesty doesn't, you know, I, I think you're honest, an honest character and- Again, you're sort of the character in the show is a product of 
your time. My dad was a Korean War vet. He passed away. But but I get it. Not in the war, but, you know, I get it. I get what he brought back. Thank him. Yeah, right? Veterans, man. Come on. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I get that. And so there's a different way. Back then, They, I think we were, people didn't talk about it. They just didn't talk about it. Right. And they right? didn't talk about it because they came from the silent generation. That's right. So there's the silent generation. There's the baby boomer generation. The baby boomer generation is the product of the silent generation where they didn't talk about anything. Right. So now we're finally in a generation where we're allowed to talk about feelings. And that actually leads me into what I wanted to talk to you about is how do we bring vulnerability and mental health? <clears throat> and I just feel like athlete, and I know this for myself. I played competitively until I was semi-pro and then I stopped. And I wish I had emotional life skills. I wish I had the discipline at that time and I didn't. And I didn't have the life skills I needed. How do you think we can create more of that? Because I feel like athletes are playing at such a highly competitive level. The pressure they feel to succeed, they develop such perfectionism. What do you think about that? Well, what you guys are doing here is brilliant. I mean, this is, it's just continuing the conversation and awareness. I mean, when we were kids, did you ever hear emotional IQ? Did you ever even hear that phrase, emotional or social IQ? No. No. That's my, I never heard of it either. You know, I have no idea. You just, you who were, you, you were who you were and you walk in a room, you sort of get the lay of the land, sort of read the room, read people on the street, sort of walk that way. If someone looked like they were, it was going to be a dark alley, you know, you're like, I'm going to hang right down here. But, but now there's this idea of emotional IQ and not only is it reading the room, but it's being self-aware and that self-awareness is a huge one. I think it bugs me. We, I, I don't know if this is going to come out right, but like, okay. We had a player at Pepperdine years ago. Um, her brother was shot in the Columbine shooting, mm. the high school shooting, but he survived. Oh, my God. But prior to the Columbine high school shooting, how many high school shootings were there? That was like the first. And then what happens? You have more. There's the, all of a sudden people are like, hey, that's an interesting idea. And then there's this with mental health right now. It seems to be, you guys, the numbers are staggering that yes. we're seeing. We're yeah. at, the, at, at the college level, we are seeing more kids needing uh, counseling than, than ever before. So the good news about that is kids are seeking help. Okay, that's good. The good news is there's more and more conversations happening. But the big question is, is it just because these kids are weaker? I don't think so. But I do think they face pressures that we never face. Like I'll give you a stupid example. But I always look at my son like, I don't know how many boys have gone up to a girl or a girl gone up and just asked out, asked them out on a date face to face. See, back in the old day, you would do that. And someone would say, sorry, you know, I'm... I'm I did that. I got rejected all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you go up in high school and, hey, you want to go to dance? Oh, sorry, Marty. Someone already asked me. Now you walk away back in the 80s when I did that. There was nobody going to tweet or, or Snapchat it. Now in, in five minutes, the whole school knows. You know, that wasn't happening then. Mm-hmm. And so you were guarded. Even though it was a failure, it wasn't fatal. It felt like you could recover from that, even though it hurt. You know, you wake up the next day. All right, new day. All right, I'm going to ask somebody else. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, but I mean, nowadays, yeah. right? Nowadays. If you're not perfect, you see, if, if you, you don't want to misstep because that's where that bullying, when you talked about bullying, cyberbullying or what the pressures of being liked or posting just the right thing or having just the right image. I think, I think what they're dealing with, with this social media, I just think it's a different thing that I'm not really well equipped to deal with. And that's why I think I have to evolve as a coach because I'm seeing a different student athlete these days. They're brilliant, by the way. Our kids are way more in tune with the world and social causes and information. I mean, you don't need to be a teacher because they can look everything up right there. You know, right. they can. But there's so they're stronger in so many ways than I ever was. Way more self-aware, way more accepting, you know. But then there's this other side of it that they might be more. I don't know. I don't want to say I don't think it's weakness. I don't think that's the right word. I just think it's there's been a, they're, they've been guarding them. They're, they're true selves. Weirdly, they're trying to, you know, everybody's celebrating be your authentic self. But if you're your authentic self and it's not appreciated, then what? 
I feel like life life experience is a huge part of that right. and away from that. Yeah. You know? And one of the things, because we have to wrap up here in a minute, but one of the things I feel like I'm taking away from what you're saying, what I'd love to bring you back, my God, this is awesome, is the pursuit of truth. Right. Like you're saying, especially even in life, athleticism and in life, because the truth hurts and being competitive hurts and winning and losing hurts. Mm -hmm. And it's like you said, like, you know, when you lose, it hurts, but then you get back up in that strength, like the butterfly to come back again and to win. And then if you win that the next time, you freaking earn that right. win. And it's like, you know, I saw this thing a week ago where this, I just, I forgot his name. Uh, he won the wrestling state championship. He had no legs and he didn't have all his fingers on his left arm. When I saw the video of him winning and he hugged his coach, I literally cried because I, I, could imagine how much internal strength it took yeah. for him to do that and to win and beat someone who has all of their arms and legs. I mean, it was unbelievable, you know, and that kind of stuff. He deserved that. He won, whether he had all his legs or not, he put in the work and he did that. And there's like, you know, there's the truth to all that. So I, I, I want to thank you for being someone who, who, it's like a, a beacon of truth for kids, for people, and for, you know, all of your um, your athletes. Yeah, I just, I mean, this has been a, an honor. Um, the reality is, is yeah, life's hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know who said it wasn't, but it's hard. It can be dark. This is, you know, it can be dark, but it, it also can be light, you know. It can be ugly, but it can be beautiful, you know. It can be filled with despair, but it can also be full of hope. And um, again, that takes me back to sort of my faith, you know. It can feel unloving at times, but man, to know that you're unconditionally loved always mm. that when you're up at night and you're wondering, well, how do I do this for me? You know, I'm looking upstairs and I'm like, all right, God, you got this. I trust you. I trust your plan. Your ways are higher than my ways. So I look back on my life and we can probably each look back on all those crazy things that we thought were so tragic and so hard. And by the way, they were, but we always say failure, like when you fell down, but then it turned into fertilizer. Failure is fertilizer. It helps you grow. Well, it's like the relationship. Jesse and I have been going through, he's been chatting with me about relationships. And when you make mistakes in a relationship, you walk away with a great deal of knowledge. And if you pick it up a year later or six months later or two months later, you are m much the wiser. Agreed. You know, you just are. And Henry Ford, failure is the opportunity to begin again yeah. more intelligently. I like it's it. One of my favorite quotes. I love that. I love yeah. Victor Frankl. The last oh. of human freedoms is one's ability to choose their attitude in a given set of circumstances. Oh, I love it. Literally one right? of my favorite books. Oh, Man's Search for Meaning. It's like powerful, especially because it's, you know, survivor of the Holocaust. But Absolutely. Tim. Stuff. You're amazing. Thank wow. you. I feel like at, at the end of the day, whoever's listening, it's no, either you want us to go. I know. We got to wrap up. Yeah, Our producers wrap, are tie up, shooting arrows anything. in my back here. At the end of the day, for people listening, I guess it's do you want to step into the game and play the game or do you want to be on the sidelines watching? It's painful, but it's worth it. It is. Um, Tim, how can people follow you? Uh, how can people, do you have a, are you on social media? No, I'm surfing. You, I'm surfing in Malibu somewhere. Usually I, I try to, <laughs> I try to stay off the social media. Uh, you have a great I, have voice. A, I think I have a Twitter. I think I'm at head coach ward something or other. I tried finding you and I couldn't find I know, you. I'm, 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 I'm sort of old school. Man. I'm low key. I'm mystery man. Um, but well, we'll get you back on here. We, we just leave us so notes, much. like little pieces of paper where you'll be and all that. We, <laughs> yeah. we really want to thank you for being here. Thank, thank you. Thank everyone for listening again. It's kicking it with the coves. I'm Jesse Cove. Cove, my dad, Martin Cove, my sister, Rachel Cove. Uh, please leave us, continue to leave us awesome reviews. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. It really helps us so much. So thank you so much. And we will see you next week.